Okay, Exodus chapter 17, verse number 8. The Bible says, Then came Amalek. You ever heard of them? All through the Old Testament. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now, we're in Exodus chapter 17. You remember the background. Exodus 12, Passover. They're delivered from Egypt's bondage by the blood of a lamb. God brings them out with a strong hand and delivers the entire nation. By the time they get to chapter 14... Uh, they're in the wilderness with Pharaoh's army pursuing them, trying to take them back. And God brings them across the Red Sea on dry ground. Pharaoh's army and his chariots and his horsemen enter. And God drowns them all. The waters crash down upon them. God gives them a great victory. Chapter 15, they sing a song of jubila- uh, jubilation. Chapter 16, God gives the Sabbath and gives them manna. Right after that, right on the heels of their deliverance from Egypt, the Bible says in Exodus 17, 8, then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, choose us out men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hands. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. You try standing up all day and holding your arms up in the air. Whatever it is you're holding up gets really heavy after a while. Your arms are going to get tired. So Moses' hands are heavy, and they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat there on, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands. The one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down. Of the sun and Joshua discomfited Amalek. He made them very uncomfortable. I like that word. He discomfited. I'm not sure that's what it means, but that's the picture that I get. Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. That'll make you very uncomfortable. And Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for here's a promise from God I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. I think that's how you say it. Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my helper. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now a number of things we learn from the passage again. Right after their deliverance from Egypt's bondage, there is an enemy that comes on the scene and fights with the nation of Israel. They win this battle. God grants the victory due to the fact that Moses' hands are lifted up. And when God gave the victory, they thanked the Lord for the victory. And God promised that He would eventually eradicate this people from the face of the earth. There would be no remembrance of them in time memorial, but in the meantime, this battle, this fight would be continual. This enemy would constantly be the nemesis of the Hebrew people. And it's clear to see the type or the picture in the passage and what it means to us. We have been delivered from the bondage of sin. We have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. God has given us a certain victory, but as soon as that victory is realized, as soon as that salvation is received, there is an enemy who asserts itself or himself, or however you want to say it. There's an enemy 
that appears and fights with us. And that fight is a perpetual fight. But one day God has promised that he'll give us the ultimate victory in that fight. Amalek stands in your Bible as a type of the flesh. As soon as your soul gets saved, you quickly realize that your flesh did not get saved. And as soon as you have a new man, you realize you're still occupied by an old man. And the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now, God can give you victory. An essential element of that victory is for hands to be lifted up. First Timothy chapter 2 says that speaks of prayer. How am I going to have victory over my flesh? How am I going, how am I going to win this constant battle, this constant enemy that I'm going to face? I'm going to have to spend time with God with hands lifted up. I'm going to have to meet the Lord in prayer. And yet we find we have a promise that ultimately... We will be delivered from this battle. The flesh will be put away from our remembrance. And what a great promise that is. But let's trace the history of this people through the Old Testament and find out what lessons there are for us. Everything makes sense so far? Amalek, type of the flesh, meets Israel right after their redemption and continues to fight with them until the promise of God is realized that they're eradicated. Christian, saved, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The flesh rises up, begins to fight you immediately. Begins to oppose God's purposes in and through your life. And we're going to have, we're going to, have to battle with that enemy and with that foe on a constant basis until the promise is realized. We'll be delivered even from the flesh. Come to Deuteronomy chapter 25. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 25. Some instructions that God gave his people regarding Amalek. Deuteronomy 25, look with me at verse number 17. Deuteronomy 25, verse 17. The Bible says, remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when ye were come forth out of Egypt. That's what we just read in Exodus chapter 17. Verse number 18 says, how he met thee by the way, smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. Therefore it shall be. When the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about, in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for inheritance possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, thou shalt not forget it. God commands his people when they enter into the promised land, I want these people, I want this enemy to be completely subdued. I want you to eradicate them. I want you to eliminate them. I want you to completely put them down, wipe them off the face of the map. Now, there was a very good reason for this. It it, it doesn't necessarily play into our typology, but these were wicked people. These were godless people. These were heathen people. These were idolatrous people. These were immoral people. These were people who, who, who practiced acts of immorality as part of their worship. These were people who took the fruits of their immorality and sacrificed them in a fire to their gods. God wanted them put away from the face of the earth. He did not want their practices 
to influence the nation of Israel in any way. And he says, I, I want you to completely get rid of Amalek. Familiar with the history of the Old Testament, they failed to do that. And it caused them problems throughout their history because they didn't put down Amalek. It was like a chihuahua always nipping at their heels. They were constantly being harassed, constantly being threatened, constantly being troubled by this people that God told them to get rid of. But they didn't completely get rid of them. Look, look with me, Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3 and verse <clears throat> number 12. Judges chapter 3 and verse 12. The Bible says the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto him, this is Eglon, remember Eglon? Eglon's a very interesting Bible character. What stands out in your mind about Eglon. Dude was fat. So fat that when Ehud took his left-handed dagger and stuck it in the guy's gut, he got his hand stuck, which is pretty disgusting. The Bible also says the dirt came out, and that's very disgusting. So Judges chapter 3 is a very pleasant read. But Eglon, this fat, Guy, this enemy of God, look who he gathers. He gathered to him the children of Ammon and Amalek, who helped Eglon go out and smite Israel and possess the city of palm trees. It was Amalek. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. <clears throat> Here's one oppressor of the Hebrews being aided by another oppressor of the Hebrews, Amalek working together with Eglon, king of Moab, to possess the cities of Israel. They, they took away something that belonged to God's people, and the reason that the Israelites had something taken away from them that was their rightful possession is because they didn't get rid of Amalek when God told them to do so. Look at Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. We're going from Moab to Midian and from Ehud to Gideon. I didn't intend for that to rhyme, but it did. Judges chapter 6, verse number 1. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. The hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, because the Midianites, the children of Israel, made them the dens, <clears throat> which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. So it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and look who? And the Amalekites. And the children of the east, even they came up against them, they encamped against them, destroyed the increase of the earth. Till thou come into Gaza, left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. They came up with their cattle and their tents. They came as grasshoppers for multitude, for both they and their camels were without number. And they entered into the land to destroy it. The people of Israel, they've, they've labored. They've spent their time. They've, they've invested sweat in tilling the ground, preparing the soil planting the seed, tending the crop, gathering the harvest. And as soon as the increase comes in, here comes the enemy of God's people to take away what would have been a blessing to them, to take away what would have filled their, filled their lives with blessing. This is the sustenance for their families. This is what they were going to use to feed their wives and children. But what they had, what, what they had earned, what they had worked for, it was taken away. 
by the Amalekites because they didn't destroy them when God said to do so. Are you seeing the typology? Are you seeing the picture? There are blessings God wants to bring into your life. There, there is fruit that God wants to bring forth from your life. But if you don't get rid of the influence of the flesh, the flesh will come in and ruin those things and take away those blessings and destroy God's purposes for your life. You've got to get rid of Amalek. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse number 46. 1 Samuel 14, verse 46. The Bible says, Then Saul, all the way in the, day, in the days of the kingdom at this point, then Saul went up from following the Philistines. The Philistines went to their own place. So Saul took the kingdom over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the children of Ammon, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. And whithersoever he turned himself, he vexed them. And he gathered and hosed and smote the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of them that spoiled them. This is several hundred years past the time they were delivered from Egypt's bondage. And guess who they're still fighting against? Now, great. God rose up. God raises up a king. God gives them Saul. He wins a victory over the Amalekites. Look at chapter 15, verse number 1. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel. How he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. God gives Saul the same instruction. He gave Moses and the people in the book of Deuteronomy, eradicate Amalek, get rid of them once and for all. And you know the story of 1 Samuel 15, Saul's incomplete obedience, his partial obedience. Look at the Bible says, verse 7, Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur. So in a certain area where they were, he went and he smote them. That's not what God said. God didn't say just take out part of them. God doesn't just want victory in one area of your life. He doesn't want you just to surrender part of your heart to his will while retaining part and giving that over to the flesh. That's what Saul did. From Havilah unto Shur, he went there and he smote all the Amalekites there in this one region that he decided on. That's not what God said. He said, Lord, you got with all your heart soul, mind, and strength. He said, I want you to completely eradicate Amalek. Look at verse number 8. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Utterly destroyed all the people, the edge of the sword, but saw the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the ox and the fatlings and lambs and all that was good. Now that was their estimation, not God's. In God's estimation, there's nothing good about Amalek. For in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Bible says, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Saul obeys, but only partially. Very, very incomplete obedience. Look what it cost him, 1 Samuel 28, verse number 18. It cost him the kingdom. <clears throat> it was rent from him and given to one that was better than him, a man after God's own heart. It was given to David in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Follows up on 1 Samuel 15. Look at 1 Samuel 28, verse number 
18. Because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee today. Now, this day is the day that Saul's death is prophesied and carried out. It led to his death. What does Romans 8 say? Be carly minded is death. Be spiritually minded is life and peace. Look back at chapter 27, verse number 8. First Samuel 27, verse number 8. David and his men went up and invaded the Gesherites and the Gesherites and the Amalekites. And those nations were of old, the inhabitants of the land, as thou goest to Shuri, even in the land of Egypt. Chapter 30, verse number 1. First Samuel 30. Verse 1, just tracing their history through the Old Testament, came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. Remember the story, David went to fight with Achish king of Gath against the host of Israel. When the prince of the Philistines saw that David was in their army against Israel, he said, King, no way we can let this happen. He's going to get out of the battle. He's going to turn against us. He's going to fight with his people. And so David and his men were sent back to the city that they came from, from Ziklag. But when they got back to Ziklag, their wives were gone. Their children was, were gone. Their stuff was gone. And the city was burnt to the ground. Do you know why? Because the Amalekites had come and invaded and destroyed the city. In David's absence, look at how these people who are supposed to be destroyed are wreaking havoc on the people of God. They're about to lose their wives and their children and all of their possessions because this enemy was never fully dealt with. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. It came to pass after the death of Saul when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites. They found an Egyptian, a servant of the Amalekites, uh, whom they had left behind because he was sick. Three days, three nights, he hadn't eaten or had anything to drink. They fed him, and then he, they said, can you show us where the camp of the Amalekites is? He says, as long as you don't give me back, I'll show you. Took him to the camp. David has been beating the Amalekites because they were drunk. They were partying over what they had uh, uh, obtained from Ziklag and all the other places where they had uh, fought and won their battles. And so David and his men, they destroyed uh, that company of Amalekites. They got their wives back, their children back. They went back to their city. And now... He's returned to Ziklag, and then a messenger comes in verse number 8. He said unto me, Who art thou? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. He said to me, Stand, I pray thee upon me and slay me. This is the Amalekite telling David the story about how he killed King Saul. He thought that David would be impressed. He thought that David might reward him. He was wrong. He was dead wrong. <laughs> it cost him his life. Verse 13, David said to the young man that told him, Whence art thou? He answered, I am a son of a stranger, Malachite. David said to him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thy hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Called one of the young men, said, Go near and fell upon him, and he smote him that he died. Okay? First Samuel, I'm sorry, sorry, First Chronicles chapter 4. We're about to go to the New Testament, get the application. First Chronicles chapter number 4. Interesting how these people keep showing up. In the record of the history, God's people, the Jews, 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse number 41. 1 Chronicles 4, verse 41. These written by name came in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah. This, this is the end of the history of the divided kingdom. Hezekiah is one of the last kings of Judah before they're taken to Babylon. 
These written by name came in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, smote their tents, and the habitations that were found there, and destroyed them utterly unto this day, dwelt in their rooms, because there was pasture there for their flocks. Some of them, even the sons of Simeon, 500 men, went to Mount Seir, having for their captains Pelatiah, Neariah, Rephiah, Uziel, the sons of Ishai, and they smote the rest of the Amalekites that were escaped, and dwelt there unto this day. Up until the time the people of God are taken captive, they're still doing battle. Still being harassed by the Amalekites. Now, come to the New Testament, Romans chapter five. Let's 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 read the verses that give us the lessons on how this applies to us. We were redeemed from Egypt's bondage by the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God. Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. We were delivered from sin and its penalty. But as soon as that deliverance came, we came face to face. With an enemy. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That's a great promise in the Word of God. No matter how much sin you have, God has more grace than you have sin. That a sin hath reigned in death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ the Lord. But God's grace doesn't just want to forgive your sin, it wants to give you a new life. It wants to give you a life where sin doesn't reign, but God's grace reigns. Where unrighteousness isn't the outcome, but righteousness is the characteristic. Verse, uh, uh, chapter 6, verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, isn't that the flesh? As soon as we have this wonderful promise about the sufficiency of God's grace, the flesh says, great, you can sin some more. <laughs> If God's grace is going to cover all your sin, then there's no limit to how much you can sin. You can do anything you want and still go to heaven. You're saved by grace and you're kept by grace and you're eternally secure in Jesus Christ. Now it doesn't matter how you live. As soon as the grace of God moves in, the flesh rises up and says, yes, this is a great reason. To do what I say. <laughs> Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? No, ye not. So many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ. We're baptized into his death. That's what God wants us to do with the flesh. Leave it with Christ on the cross. Verse number four. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism and death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in his life. We're going to study baptism in the church service this morning. We're going to read this passage. The purpose is for God to give us a new life after we get saved. For if we've been planted together, verse 5, likeness of his death, we should be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Death to the old life. And then God gives me a new life, typified by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. What did God say about Amalek? Eradicate them. Eliminate them. Put out their remembrance from the face of the earth. What did God say about your old man, about your flesh, about your carnal nature? I consider it dead. What God said. Verse number seven, free that is dead is freed from sin. That's why God wants your old man dead. He doesn't want you in bondage anymore. He doesn't want you serving diverse lusts and pleasures. He doesn't want you to be destroyed 
by what's going to hurt you and harm your life. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. But then he died, he died in sin once. But then he liveth, he liveth unto God. Verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. God wants us to, to think about the flesh the same way he thinks about the flesh. He wants us to consider it dead. He wants us to consider it over with. You don't run errands for a dead man. You don't listen to someone that's down in the grave. Consider the flesh, the old life, the old man to be dead. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign your mortal body. Ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members instruments of righteousness to sin. Yield yourselves unto God. Those are life from the dead. Your members instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace. I'm just going to have to give you the references for the rest of the verses. And we'll talk about them and we'll be done. Romans chapter 13, verse number 14. A verse y'all be familiar with. It says, make no provision for the flesh. Don't give Amalek food. Don't give Amalek an invitation into your life. Don't make it easy for your flesh to guide and control your thoughts and your decisions. Be careful about what you feed your mind. Be careful about what you take in through your eyes. Be careful about what you listen to. Be careful about what you find to be entertaining. We put a a quote in the bulletin, your worldview The true test of our worldview is what we find entertaining. It's not what you say, I believe. It's what you you consume. It's what you feed your mind. It's what you take into your heart. That's what you really believe. Are you feeding Amalek? Are you cutting off? Make no provision for the flesh. Philippians 3, verse 3. Put no confidence in the flesh. The flesh deceives us into thinking that we can handle temptation. Philippians chapter 3 verse 3. Put no confidence in the flesh. If you have the thought that you can handle temptation. If you have the thought that you can be in a compromised situation but not compromised. You have been deceived by your enemy. You can't handle looking at things you shouldn't look at. You can't handle listening to things you know you're not supposed to listen to. You can't handle putting yourself around people who are trying to serve the world and serve the flesh and not serve. You can't handle it. You can't handle temptation. You're going to be tempted. Lord, give me a way to escape. But if you walk right into it, you've ignored the escape already. Okay, don't put confidence in the flesh. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 5. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 5 says, mortify, therefore. You know what that means? Put them to death. You put dead people in a mortuary. mortuary. What do you do to put them there? You mortify them. Or hopefully you don't because then you'll go to jail. (laughs) But something, maybe a disease does, they are mortified. They are dead. Mortify your members which are upon the earth. Covetousness. Lasciviousness, evil concupiscence, all of those fleshly appetites, we have to constantly put them down. 
1 Corinthians chapter 9. Go ahead and turn to this one with me. 1 Corinthians 9. Verse number 27. 1 Corinthians 9. Verse number 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul said, I myself should be a castaway. Paul said, I'm going to keep under my body. I'm going to put my body in subjection. I'm going to tell the flesh what to do. I'm not going to let the flesh tell me what to do. Because if I get that order reversed, if I give Amalek a place, if I don't put out Amalek, I'm going to be a castaway. My life's going to be destroyed. My testimony's going to be shot. My effectiveness for God is going to be ruined. The Lord gave me a, a vivid illustration of this when I got home from Africa. My wife met me at the airport and brought me a huge bag of dark chocolate M&M's. The purple bag. If you ever want to be a blessing to your youth pastor, the purple <laughs> bag of M&M's. And it wasn't just the individual size. It wasn't just the sharing size. It was the family sized bag of dark chocolate M&M's. Those little delicious things are addictive I was, at, I was at church for a long time yesterday trying to catch up. I had a lot of things to do, get ready for today. And I was sitting at my desk, and I ate breakfast, and I ate lunch, and I ate dinner, and I wasn't hungry. But that bag of M&M's was in my office. And there aren't very many left anymore. <laughs> and I came to church this morning, and I ate an apple on my way to church, and I drank some juice on the way to church, and I got to my office when I sat down at my desk and guess what was calling to me <laughs> and so you take a handful oh man those are good you're not 10 seconds later you need some more and, 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 and my mind is thinking no I don't need any and then my mind is also thinking of all the reasons why I do <laughs> and, and I have I have this instant appetite this craving this a Addiction to little pieces of chocolate coated with different colors that don't taste any different. They just look different. It's not on the outside that's what matters. It's what's on the inside. <clears throat> but just an illustration. Try, try to tell your flesh, no, you're not going to eat another handful of M&Ms and notice the opposition that it gives you. Try going an entire day and saying, no, you're not going to have food. And all of the reasons your mind will come up with why fasting is a horrible idea. It is detrimental to your health. You will probably die before the end of the day. <laughs> and your flesh will constantly... And come on, these are just physical things. If it has that much strength... If it puts up that much of a fight to something as stupid as a little piece of candy. How much stronger is it going to fight you when you're just trying to please God? How much stronger is it going to fight you when you're trying to do right? Notice when you're in a temptation situation, all the reasons your flesh will give you by sin, why sinning will be a wonderful idea. 
why disobeying God is actually going to make sense and no one could blame you for it. Your flesh will give you those reasons. Your flesh will give you those excuses. Your flesh will lead you into everything that's destructive. You have got to put down Amalek. You have got to say no to the flesh. You have got to refuse to give in when the flesh leads you astray. God's people in the Old Testament didn't do it and they paid the price. And there are blessings God wants to give us. And there is fruit He wants to to, to bring out of our lives. But if we let the flesh take over, all that's going to be ruined. All that's going to be destroyed. We've got to learn to control our flesh and not allow the flesh to control us. And a great way to practice, make yourself. Read the Bible. Make yourself pray. Make yourself witness. You have an opportunity, open the door, share the gospel. The flesh will give you all kinds of reasons why that person doesn't want to hear it, why, what they're going to say. when you, It just makes stuff up. They get you not to. But the Holy Spirit wants you to do. Right? Don't listen to the flesh. Now, thankfully, we have a promise. Much like Israel had a promise. There's coming a day God will put out the remembrance of Amalek. There's coming a day, Romans chapter 7, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ. One day we'll have to deal with the flesh, but now we're going to deal with it every single day. Everybody make sure somebody's hands are lifted up and you remain close to God through prayer so you can win that fight.